only do I love that song, but we couldn't do this passage of scripture without singing that song. Thank you, Kyle. We are in the middle of our series called um, The Journey. We're journeying with Israel through the desert. We're trying to experience God's presence in the middle of the difficult parts of our lives. Today we're going to be looking at Exodus 16 verses 1 through 9 and Exodus 17 verses 1 through 7. This is what the scripture tells us. The whole Israelite community set out from Elam and came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt, in the desert the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us up out of the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. On the sixth day, they are to prepare what they bring in. And that is to be twice as much as they gather on the other days. Then Exodus 17 tells us another story of Israelites crying. The whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses, and they said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and livestock die of thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. And the Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with, uh, with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock of Horeb, strike the rock, and the water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa of Meribah, because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God indeed. I want to start today by painting a picture for you. You may have experienced something close to what I'm going to share with you. I think it's a pretty regular occurrence in the daily life of the grocery store, okay? I was at the grocery store one time. I had young children myself, but I, for that opportunity, had the chance to leave them at home with Joe. And if you have a parent who has gone shopping with little children, you know what a blessing it is not to go, have to go to the store with your kids. Sorry, I love you children, but I'm just saying. When you were little, it was a lot easier without you. And as I was shopping around, I turned the aisle, and right in front of me was a child laying on the floor. Now, of course, my children were perfect and had never, ever done that before. (laughs) And this kid was a little bit upset, was crying, was having their mother, um, well, basically trapped their mother in the aisle because they wouldn't move, because they wanted something that the mom wouldn't let them have. Again, my children have never, ever, ever done such a thing. 
And the kid continued to cry, and I thought, well, should I help? Can I do anything? And I thought, if somebody came up to me when I was in the middle of that, I would have been mortified. So I just quietly walked by, and as I walked by, I noticed the mother say, fine, you can have it. And I thought, well, I would never do such a thing. (laughs) I mean, if the kid is throwing a fit, you're not going to give it what it wants, right? Never have I ever done that. If you can't tell, (laughs) I'm lying. But this kid threw a fit and got what it wanted. And we tend to think, oh, that parent, they could do so much better. If they want their kid to grow up right, they'll be strict. They won't let them get everything they want, especially if they're throwing a fit. We're totally fine thinking that about other people. But then when it comes to our lives... Oh, there's a whole different game plan, right? We go about living our adult lives with expectations, wants, needs, and desires, and we might pray about them. We might ask God to show up for us. We might ask God to do things for us. And then as we go about and God doesn't do what we want God to do, what do we do? We may not throw ourselves on the ground and pitch a fit, although some of us do, but we do get angry. We do complain, we do mumber, mumble, mutter. We get upset. We get angry because God hasn't given us what we want. We're just like that little kid throwing a temper tantrum in the grocery store. But we don't judge that, do we? No. We'd be so happy if God gave us what we wanted right in that minute. We wouldn't judge our behavior at all. You see, in every one of us lives a five-year-old with five-year-old expectations. If I ask for it, you're gonna give it to me. If I ask for it, it's obviously what I need. If I ask for it, it's obviously the right thing to happen at this specific point in time. And what we see here in this scripture is evidence that we aren't the first to do that. Thank God for that. What we see here in the scripture is one of the reasons why I love this passage of Exodus so much is why we are doing this series. It is because the Israelite people are just like you and I, and we can relate to them as humans. We can relate to their struggle. We can relate to their pain. We can relate to their faithlessness because we're just like them. We hurt and we wonder just like they did. So we're going to go back. I'm going to rewind a little bit and remind us of where we've come from. We have seen the Israelites be freed from slavery in Egypt by the powerful hand of God. We've seen that happen over the past few weeks. If you've missed it, I encourage you to go back and watch some of the previous sermons in this series. Then we saw Egypt get stuck, really stuck between the Egyptian army and a sea, and they couldn't go anywhere. One way was certain death with an army, another way was certain death in the sea. And we saw, we saw how God showed up and parted the waters so that the Israelites could walk on dry ground from a place that was full of danger to a place that was safe. Not only do we see them walk across on dry ground, we saw how God closed that water so the Egyptians not only couldn't follow them, but perished. We saw how every time Israel came up against a hard place in their lives, what I'm calling a speed bump in their journey, right? Because we're all on a journey. And every time on their journey that Israel hit a speed bump and started complaining, because boy did they, 
God showed up and provided for them. Not once did he show up in a way that they expected him to show up, right? But God showed up. God had a plan. God moved in their lives. And we saw, and we've reminded you of this each week, that God sees you. God sees your pain. God sees your hurt. Not only does God see you, but God cares. God cares deeply about the pain and the hurt that you are experiencing right now, whatever that is in your life. Not only does God see and does God care, but God has a plan. God has a plan to move you from where you are to a place that is good. Not only does God see, not only does God care, not only does God have a plan, but God is faithful to that plan. God's plan will come to fruition in your life. Good will come. But we've been wondering how we experience that ourselves. I've handed out each week a different um, flyer for you to take home. You took this home the first week. And if you don't have this, I encourage you to get one. And we're going to be talking about um, this specifically today. Because what the Israelites experience here is something that we don't have to continue in our lives. You see, what happened with the Israelites as we look at the scripture is that they've seen the provision of God. They continue on their journey. They praise God. They say specifically in scripture at the end of this last journey, it said in Exodus 14, it said that the Israelites put their trust in God and in Moses after seeing what he did at the Red Sea. The Israelites said, we're in. We believe God is good. And then not but a passage later or a chapter later, what's happening? They're wandering the desert. They don't have the kind of food that they want. Go figure. And what do they think first? Do they think, well, God will provide. God got us through the sea. God got us out of Egypt. God's going to give us food. Is that what happens? No, that's not what happens. Not only do they complain, they say, are you sending us out here to die? They literally act like they are going to die in 2.5 seconds if they don't get food immediately right? They grumble, they complain, they forget that they've believed that God is going to provide. They forget all of the ways that God has provided before. It's a pattern. The same thing happens when they go out from this place in Sinai back into the desert, and all of a sudden they're thirsty. They're parched. They need something to drink. And do they say, well, we may not have water in front of us, but God certainly did get us through the desert, God certainly did get us out of Egypt. God certainly did feed us, so I know God's going to provide us water, right? Is that what they said? No. Let me hear it. Is that what they said? No. no. What did they do? They, com- they complained and they grumbled. Not only that, in this passage, the words that are used in Hebrew acted like they were going to put Moses and Aaron on trial and stone them to death for leading them astray, for making them believe that God was going to take care of them. And they were feeling like God wasn't doing that. So how does this happen? They go from believing to getting back on the journey, hitting a speed bump, And as soon as they hit a speed bump, the tempter comes in. What do I mean by the tempter? The devil, right? Satan comes in and starts to mess with their thinking. These people who believed, now that they've hit a speed bump, are starting to question everything. 
Not only are they questioning God's faithfulness, they're also changing what happened in history. They're rewriting the facts. And here it says, didn't we sit around in Egypt pots of meat every day? That is not what happened in Egypt when they were enslaved. They did not sit around pots of meat every day, but somehow in the desert, they're rewriting what happened before. We don't do that, do we? <laughs> not, not you. They also say in here, didn't we eat pots of meat didn't we, and I've forgotten the second one. Oh, well, there's another thing in here that they rewrote part of history. Two things that they say were different than they were now. This is not just their souls doing this. This is evil working in them to make them believe against God, to keep them from trusting God, to keep them from going to God. It's a struggle, and it's real. The same thing happens with us. We come here Sunday, we sing our worship songs, we may pray through the week, and we say, I believe that God is good and that God loves me and that God sees me and that God cares, right? And then we hit a speed bump. It could be small as an ant or big as a mountain. Doesn't matter, we're gonna behave the same way. We're gonna start questioning our belief. We're gonna start questioning God. We're gonna start questioning God's provision for us. And we're also gonna start rewriting the facts. We're gonna say, well, you know, I lived way better before, or I, life wasn't this hard before you, God. I'm just telling you right now, as soon as I met you, God, life got really, really harder. We start rewriting what happened in history. And it pulls us even further away from God. The Israelites, as they're rewriting history, they also start being tempted by those temptations that we talked about our first week. Those three temptations are really important for us to pay attention to because they're the things that hit every human at different places. There's the temptations of the flesh, and that's what happened when they wanted meat. They needed, they felt like they were craving something. They needed something. For some of us, we have that exact same temptation, and it's for food to soothe our souls, right? For other people, it's a shopping issue. That shopping soothes your souls. For some of you, it's pornography. Pornography is the place that you go to when you need a little bit of ease and release in your life. For others, it's acquisition of power. It's being important to other people, being seen as somebody who matters. For some, it's alcohol or drugs. That's the only thing that gives you the ability to take a break from the stress that you're under. That's the temptation of the flesh. When we hit speed bumps, when we are struggling in life, the temptation of the flesh pulls us away from the goodness and the provision of God. We all have something in that area that we go to when we're struggling. Some of us, it's gossip. I have to put that one in there. Some of us get a real high from sharing other people's stories. Then there's the temptation of the eyes. And that's wanting what you don't have. And that's what they were doing when they were rewriting history. They were wanting to be back in Egypt. 
They were wanting what the Egyptians had. They were wanting a different life than they had now. They were coveting something more than what they had. They were coveting their neighbor's goods, their neighbor's life. We do the same thing. We covet. We want a better job. We want a better house. We want a better car. We want just a better, well, a better phone. I mean, honestly, if you don't have the best iPhone, you really are not very cool. Right? The one you have works perfectly fine, but I want that other one. I don't know why. I just know I want it. I need it. We have those temptations. And then there's the pride of life, right? The Israelites' pride of life, they were sure it wasn't their problem. They weren't causing these issues. They were good. It was God that was causing the issues. It was God that wasn't faithful. It was God that wasn't showing up. They were tempted, and they failed. They did not win in this temptation. And God says in this point here, God shows up. When they struggle, when they hit the speed bump, when they're crying, when they're complaining, God acts like that mother in the grocery store and gives them what they need. God doesn't walk away, which honestly I think God should do sometimes. When I'm being an idiot, I'm pretty sure God should not say, okay, Alyssa, bless your heart. Let me help you here. I'm going to show up even though you fail to remember that I'm always going to show up. I'm going to be there regardless of your attitude. In fact, there's nothing that the Israelites did, not one thing. In fact, they did some really horrible, awful things that continue on throughout this narrative of Exodus. Not one thing they did pushed God away from them. God always showed up. God always responded. Granted, he didn't do it the way they wanted, but they never failed to have food. They never failed to have water. They never failed to have what they needed. They always showed up. God always showed up. God always shows up for us too. No matter how much I struggle in my faith sometimes, no matter how much I struggle to believe that God can fix the problem I'm experiencing in this moment, because sometimes they're very practical problems that doesn't seem like a God who I cannot see can fix. But those are the places where God shows up the best. We just have to be open to God showing up in a way we don't expect. So what's the point, you may ask? If it's okay to grumble because God's going to show up anyway, if it's okay to fail in our faith because God's never going to leave us, then what's the point in being faithful? Right? What's the point? If God is not going to leave us behind, if God is always going to forgive us, if God is always going to love us, why do I even have to have faith? Why should the Israelites try and do better? Why should we try and have more robust faith lives? And I believe the answer comes when we look at how Jesus experienced the same type of temptation. Jesus, right before he began his ministry, was baptized, called God's beloved son, and sent, intentionally sent by God into the desert to have his faith tested. That's exactly what God is doing here with the Israelites. Their faith is being tested. Why would God test us? Why can't God just let us believe without any speed bumps? Well, let me just tell you right now, unlike Jesus, God doesn't cause most of our speed bumps. They just happen because life is messy, right? They just happen. 
But God caused this one for Jesus so that we could see how it's possible for us to live through the speed bumps with a faith standing strong. And so what happens? Jesus is in the desert. He hasn't eaten for 40 days. Is he hungry? Yes. Because as much as he is God, he was fully human. And I'm going to tell you, if you haven't eaten for 40 days, you're hungry. And so Satan comes up to Jesus and says, if you're hungry, turn these stones into bread. And what does Jesus do? Does he get all complaining? Does he whine? Does he cry? Does he say, God, why would you do this? No. He says, scripture tells us that man lives on not bread alone, but every word from God. Then, so that's the temptation of the flesh that you see Jesus not succumb to like you and I and the Israelites do. Then you see Jesus tempted with his eyes. The temptation of the eyes comes, Satan says, look before you. Everything you see, I will give to you. Oh, no, that's a pride of the flesh. Pride of flesh. Everything you see, I will give to you, right? And he says, no. I'm not meant to test God. And then you have Satan take Jesus to the highest mountain where he's meant to jump off of it and prove that God will save him. And Jesus says, no. Jesus didn't succumb to any of those temptations. Not the flesh, not the eyes, not the pride of life. How did Jesus do it? Did anybody see in there? What did Jesus do every time he was questioned and tested and tempted by Satan? Jesus stilled his mind by remembering the truth of Scripture and the promises of God. Before Jesus did anything else, he centered himself on what he knew to be true. What he could claim without any fear that it was wrong. And for him, that was Scripture. He said Scripture to Satan, and he sat in the promises of God Remember when we were looking at the Israelites trying to cross the sea, Moses tells them to be still and let God do God's work. This is how we be still. This is how we resist temptation. We sit in the promises of God knowing that God is going to show up even if we can't figure out what that looks like. Which is one of the reasons why we handed out the Promises of God workbook. These are a whole bunch of promises from God. I don't know what promise you need to claim over your life, but you need to claim a promise over your life so that when you're in these moments, you're not reaching for your Bible because a lot of times it's not there with you, right? You're in traffic and somebody's being a jerk and you want to be a jerk back. Reaching for your Bible isn't going to fix anything. It might cause a crash. But if you know that, if it's written on your heart, if you have at least one piece of scripture that you can reach for, that you can grasp, it is something you can rely on. I picked a piece of scripture. Mine is Galatians 6, 8 through 10. And I'm working to memorize all three of these verses. I'd memorized the middle one, but I really felt like I needed all three. And I'm memorizing this so that when I hit a speed bump on my journey, 
I can still my mind with the truth. We are going to hit speed bumps on our journey, but we have to have the practice of being able to still our minds, still the worry, still the fear, still the anxiety, not with things of this world, not with shopping or pornography or alcohol or drugs or food. We need to still our minds with the truth of God. And if we have scripture memorized, we can do that. It's a practice. It will not be perfect but it will make a difference. And in fact, what happens is Jesus leaves the desert and changes the world. The Israelites left the desert and continued to ride the roller coaster. That's what the difference is. If we say, if God's going to give us grace no matter what, why do we even try? Well, we try because there's a different plan. There's a better way. There's more life to be had if we do it this other way. God's going to show up regardless, right? God's going to be there regardless, but you can have a better life. You can experience the grace of God more fully, more completely, and you can be a part in changing the world. Jesus left the desert and literally changed the path of all creation. We are meant to do the same. In our journeys, we're meant to leave the testing. We're meant to leave the temptation and be stronger and to have a brighter light shining within us so that as we go out into the world, people know that there's more to life than what they're experiencing right now because of our presence around them. We can either stay on the roller coaster ride or we can get off. And as we get off, go into the world, our faith stronger than it's ever been.